Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner here with Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers Beat podcast. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and the TuneIn Radio app. Uh, Also, do please leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Uh, The words of the review don't matter, but please, if you can, give us a five-star. That intro, of course, was from Soundgarden. The day I tried to live because of the news that Chris Cornell is no longer with us, which just rocked my world. I born in 82, I kind of, the early 90s Seattle scene was kind of my first real introduction to rock music, so that one hit hard, but how you doing, Rich? Not too bad, man. The uh, draft season is officially upon us now, um, after that crazy party we were at the other night. Yeah, 3,000 3, strong, at least. In uh, in Xfinity Live, I mean it was it was it was jam packed. You couldn't by the time eight o'clock got around, you couldn't move. Uh, it was it was it really is it blows my mind every time it happens where you can fit that many people into a bar serving alcohol and there's not one problem in the in the, that large sea of people. Not one real you know shouting match or words out of anger that I've even heard of, which which blows my mind. Everybody was fantastic. The Lottery gods sort of worked out for, for, for the group for the second straight year. Not quite to the, the degree it did in 2016 with Ben Simmons, but it, it worked out, and we certainly have a lot to talk about now. And think about, remember, I guess it was three years ago now, I guess it's 2014, the first lottery party that they had, I think it was at Miller's uh, Old Ale House in, in Northeast Philly, there was like 200 people probably there. And I thought that was insane. Yeah. Like, I, I remember telling Spike that night, wow, this this couldn't have gone better for you. Like, this is, I mean, this is packed. I mean, we we, <laughs> we just filled up a bar. And I mean, that what we saw at Xfinity Live the other day, now, I know some people m- might have been turned off by the, uh, the <laughs> Sam Hinkie banner being raised to the, uh, to the Raptors and and look, I I don't really care about that. Just but just the passion that all of those people have and like how excited everybody in that bar is about Sixers basketball. It's was really cool to see. Yeah, it kind of it kind of bums me out every day the day after when the kind of essence of the party is questioned and criticized because of how <laughs> directly it is tied to Hinky and that whole debate. And look, anything associated with that debate is going to be be well debated. But man, if you can't if you can't appreciate three thousand fans getting together to watch a fucking lottery party where cards are revealed with team logos on it, and you can't see the passion there, then I think you're really missing the point of it. But it uh, yeah. it, it was it was great. And I, I mean, like you said, two hundred people. I thought, man, it, it can't get any better. And every year it exceeds expectations. It's it's a good event. I look forward to it for the next two years because now we know for a fact. Well, not for a fact. I guess there is a small probability that the Lakers or the Kings could improve out of the lottery. I don't give it any meaningful probability, but now we have a very strong a very strong belief that there will be at least two more lottery parties, hopefully during the same time that we are having playoff parties. So much to look forward to. Well and, and there was a proposal this year too. So I mean that was that I mean with the way the current media landscape is, I mean everybody was gonna run wild with that one. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, we'll have two more. I mean, the Luka Doncic watch basically got underway as soon as uh, as soon as that Lakers pick didn't convey. The Sixers uh, Sixers made it past the you know say what you want about the Sixers, but they make it past the commercial in the lottery. They do they, every year. They get to that commercial and they're still alive every year. <laughs> now, three out of the four years, your hopes and dreams have been crushed right after. But at least you make it to the commercial. And honestly, I mean, we, you know, we we talk about uncertainty and how how comfortable Sam Hickey was with uncertainty and, and the risks involved with the lottery. The lottery's been pretty damn good to the Sixers, generally speaking. I, I know they haven't – I mean, only one number one pick, but just looking at the odds, like, they've exceeded, you know, their average scenario every year pretty much. And, again, this year, I mean, would I have liked to be able to select Markel Fultz with the first pick? Yeah. Is it a, a bit of a bummer for the Sixers that – their main rivals and the team that has the most assets in the league besides them has basically just landed Markel Fultz. Yeah, that's a little bit of a bummer. But 
to still be able to pick third in what should be a pretty loaded top eight, top nine is not a bad scenario at all. Yeah, I mean, certainly going by the odds, like you said, picking in the top three so many times in a row is, is very unlikely. They've moved up a number of times. Every year they're, well, I mean, every year everybody's most likely outcome is four or lower. So to be picking where they are is good. You know, this year their most likely outcome was five. They ended up actually getting five, but then got the swap. That's From that perspective, it's good. But also, I mean, 2014, the guy I wanted most, I had him ranked number one, was Joel Embiid. So you got him at three, worked out fine. 2016, you got Ben Simmons number one, and that worked out fine. We'll see about this one. I, I put a pretty big jump between one and two in this draft and Markel Fultz. But picking third, I mean, there will be options there. The only real bummer is uh, is that, that 2015 draft, and we don't really need to harp on it because everybody knows the history of that one. That's the only one we're losing out on Carl Anthony Towns. It really That was a punch in the gut. That really was. And losing out on both Towns and what eventually ended up being D'Angelo Russell was, I mean, that was that was a little bit tough to take. It looked okay for the first you know month after the lottery when everybody thought that the Lakers were going with Okafor. But um, you know, even now, even now, I mean, the best player available was, or the second best player outside of Towns was available when they picked and they missed and it happens. And newsflash, the draft is really fucking hard. Speaking of Embiid, though, I mean, that guy, I know we say this all the time, that guy is such a rock star. I mean, he basically, he took over the entire lottery. I didn't, uh, because we were at such a loud venue where where people were freaking out when the lottery happens. And by by the way, you know, you can argue about the lottery all you want and whether it incentivizes losing or whatever. And I, I probably agree with you to a large extent. But as a television show, there's nothing that beats the torture <laughs> of of watching, you know, interested parties squirm. I mean, watching Magic Johnson have to squirm during that, even if he got lucky, and watching Sixers fans afterwards say it's rigged, even though there was a 21% chance that they'd get all three of their picks, and last night there was a 47% chance. It, it was amazing. But just, just back then, Bede, I rewatched the lottery today because, again, I, I didn't have – a great context with all the people freaking out around me when it happened. Um, his like reaction to Mark Jones announcing the lottery, like basically saying like, all right, this pick swap means the Sixers have the number three pick. I mean that like his, the nod and the smile he had, it was, I mean, he's amazing. man. Like just from, I mean, we know how good he is as a basketball player and obviously he has to stay healthy, but like, man, like the personality of that guy, like I, you could just see, checking Twitter, everybody just absolutely loves this guy. And, you know, I'm talking about people who don't follow the Sixers at all. Yeah, I mean, healthy, he's the biggest star in the city, and I don't think it's it's even really close. I know, you know, Wentz will get more attention because he's a quarterback of the football team. But in terms of, of individual star power, star, when he does something, you pay attention. Joel Embiid is going to be that guy, and you just, we say this all the time, you really just hope he will. You know, health his his lower body will hold up for him. But let's kind of oh. shift off of that. Wait, real quick. Any day of the week, I'm going to take the guy who jokes about hunting lions over the guy who actually <laughs> might hunt a lion uh, and post it on YouTube. So not All only right, jokes cool. about hunting lions, convinces his teammates that it's a real story. Incre- an incredible oh personality. Oh my god! All right. Um, into what the results of Tuesday night actually mean. You know, I feel like the one story that hasn't been covered nearly enough is do you have any strong opinions about LeVar Ball? I'm, I'm, that- I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I, it's driving me absolutely insane. And look, I one of the great things about being where you and I are, I've made a lot of good friends in the radio industry. Uh, I certainly respect what they do in terms of having to go on the air and talk about sports for four hours a day. It's an almost impossible task. And, and they really are. They've been wonderful to me. But, man, I can't. Every interview I go on, whether it's TV radio, it doesn't matter. The first half of it is talking about LeVar Ball and it's making me lose my mind. I can't I can't spend another month doing this. I really am going to go insane. But assuming the draft goes as expected and Fultz goes number one, whatever team that may end up being, and uh, Lonzo Ball, not, not, not LeVar, but Lonzo, he's the one who actually plays the game, goes number two to the Lakers. I think everybody expects, or at least lists, Josh Jackson as the third best prospect. Is there any reason the Sixers should be looking elsewhere? Yeah. His shooting's terrifying. Uh, I mean, I I think he's the third best player, but his shooting is terrifying. And unfortunately, 
that well, because hey, we're going to talk about fit a lot with the Sixers, and they need shooting. I don't think anybody would argue that. Anybody who watched five seconds of Ben Simmons in college or summer league or anything would argue that you know you're going to need shooting. But in general, like to be a really good NBA wing, you need to be a good shooter. Like I'm trying to think. Are there any star NBA wings right now who can't shoot to the level Jackson might not be able to shoot? Like, I'm thinking, like, Kid Gilchrist, but, I mean... Is he really you know, a star? That's what I mean. Like, he's a good player. He's not a guy who I... You know, if you put him on, like, a championship-level roster, I'd, I think that shooting would become much... You know, that other teams would really try to exploit that in the playoffs. And... Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I had a mailbag question today from one of one of my Twitter followers who said, why don't you guys mention how good of a fit Jackson is uh, in terms of running the break with Simmons and uh, on defense with switching? And, I, I mean, that's true. You know, like Brett Brown kind of simplifies it down to that defense pace and space philosophy, which is I don't think the Sixers completely, you know, they certainly aren't like just looking at that and assigning a number value there. It's a but, it's a it's I, a great soundbite. Yeah, and, and it's not it's not a bad way to look at it. Just as far as like a, a useful exercise, just give me a couple of blog posts, so I'll, I'll take it. But but yeah, in general, like as far as the defense and the pace goes, yes, Josh Jackson fits, man. I mean, I I don't really think Josh Jackson has a glaring weakness outside of his shooting. The problem is like. Once you get into the playoffs, you can't run the ball up and down the floor the entire game. This isn't like the 1980s anymore. Um, and shooting becomes a big deal. And, you know, the fact that his form changes from time to time and the sh- fact that he shot 50% or, sorry, 55% from the free throw line in college, it's pretty scary, even if I probably would take him with the third pick. Yeah, and I mean, look, there's – I think a lot of people – I don't want to say the more casual fans, but I think a lot of people will look at Josh Jackson's three-point percentage and maybe get not quite a a proper respect for how big of a concern this is. Because it did. I mean, he shot over his last, like, 15 games, he shot, like, 46% or something absurd like that. I mean, we're only talking about 90 attempts. And like you said, 56.6 from the line. And even if you go back during his high school days, you know, we, we track pretty much every major tournament these guys are in. And over the course of his high school career, we have him at exactly 55.2%. So we're talking a very, pretty much the same thing that he was at in college. And you're talking 11 for 18 from the U19 worlds, 10 for 17 from U17. Like he just, 7 for 15 from U16. He really struggled in a lot of these international competitions, a lot of his high school career from the free throw line. And certainly back then he wasn't a prolific three-point shooter. I think we have him at a little over 28% back then. So you really have to wonder whether or not that shooting at the end of the season is really legitimate and whether or not you have a large enough sample size to overlook the continued free throw problems he has had throughout the entirety of his career and the form on his jump shot, which, like you said, it's inconsistent. There's hitches. There's balance issues I have with it. It's not It's not a form where I look at and I go, that's, you know, I think that's projectable. So it's a, it's a really big concern. Like you said, he might not have, you know, I think we can debate a lot of what Josh Jackson does and whether he's going to be elite or just good. I don't think there's much debate whether there's anything other than shooting that he's really going to be bad at. And that has value, like that, that has real legitimate value. That could really be a great third option on a team surrounding Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. That's all very true. But man, that's shooting. If, if there is one skill that might be the most important one when you're looking at somebody to surround those two guys that we just mentioned, that's a real big question mark to have. I love thinking about Jackson compared to Malik Monk because they're really the opposite guy. Jackson checks every box except the most important one. And Monk doesn't really check any boxes, but he does check the most important one. And, you know, it's – what do you think of – I think I read something over the past couple weeks uh, where an NBA scout or uh, he was an executive or somebody, an anonymous guy, said that Jackson's free throw percentage – is a little has a little bit more to do with him overthinking it, and when Could, you get him out on a court, he's more of an instinctive player. Do you buy that at all? I mean, I buy that that happens for players. Like I remember talking to Sam at one point, um, you know, just off the side before a game, I think, and he he said he would marvel at guys how well they would shoot you know, because they would track every 
you know, every shot these guys took in practice, how well people shoot in a gym, in an open gym, and then what happens when they get in the game and the nerves really ratchet up. You know, it's it's. I think it's a very real thing. I don't know for sure if that is what I would attribute Jackson's struggles to, but I don't throw that out as a possibility. All right. So uh, let's say the Sixers take him. Does this? Uh, I mean, it's the other thing too is not to say that it, it's not a neat, but they have Robert Covington, they have Ben Simmons, they have Dario Saric. That's three guys who can legitimately man the three to four spots. Do you think, and the guy that, that I'm more going to look at here is Covington. Do you think that the Sixers sign or the Sixers drafting Jackson, what, what do you think that would mean for Covington? Do you think that would uh, de- possibly delay his, uh, you know, any extension talks with him? Do you think the Sixers would want to see how that works first? Or is it a thing where, you know, th- there really aren't that many good two way wings in the league. And being able to sign Covington basically while you have Jackson cost-controlled would be worth it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, I, I kind of went back and I double-checked the CBA and I found a provision that I may have missed the first time. And basically there's two dates that you have to worry about. And the first date is two years from his signing, and that's when he's extension eligible. And the second date is three years from his – and, and that's, that's new. It used to be three years. But the second date is three years from his, his – and when he signed his contract, and that is when he is renegotiation eligible. So I think it makes sense to wait for the Sixers to wait. And you can't do you can't do like an extension because basically what I'm saying is he would be eligible for an extension on July 1st. But if you wanted to renegotiate the final year of his current deal and extend him, you would have to wait until November. I think it's 15th. November. Yeah. So and you can't you can't like extend him in July and then renegotiate in 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 November. It has to be done at the same time if you want to do both of them. So, you know, I think there's probably a reason for him to for them to wait until November anyway. Okay. And you wonder whether or not, you know, I I think there's still a case to be made that you want him around. But you wonder if whether or not like let's say Covington's camp was coming in a little higher than the Sixers wanted to go. And maybe they had a little reservation about it, but because they need a two-way wing so badly and because they would have drafted a a point guard in this draft or a perimeter player in this draft, Maybe they would have bit that bull a little easier. You know, I do wonder whether or not this means they want to wait, maybe not maybe not use, uh, renegotiate and extend this fall, see how it all plans, you know, plays out over the season, and then make that decision when, when Covington's an unrestricted free agent, which would be uh, risky as heck. You know, I don't know. That's a really good question. And you wonder whether or not, and look, I think, I think Sharch is, you know, he's young and cost-controlled. I think he has a pretty good chance of staying around here. But you wonder how that's going to impact him, too, because now you have less time that Ben Simmons is going to be at the, the small forward spot, presumably, or defending the small forward spot. And we can get into semantics all, all you want. But you wonder how that's going to cut into Simmons' time on the perimeter. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting spot. It's great to have depth. It's great to have options. Ultimately, I think Covington has value, even if he's now coming off the bench and maybe playing 20, 25 minutes yeah, I still think you can find that time for him, and I think he'd have great value, but you wonder whether or not somebody else would pay more. Do you think those two would work together? Like, I, I mean, they both seem a little big for, uh, you know, pure two. for a pure two. You know, I, I, I tend to think of like the 6'4 to 6'6 six, six guys, more, more in that range. But, you know, I mean, coming in, he guarded point guards at times this year and didn't do a bad job of it. And... I mean, the idea of being able to switch with those two and, I mean, specifically being able to switch two to four with Simmons is kind of interesting, right, defensively with Embiid? I mean, it would be like – the goal there would be to try and eliminate as many mistakes as far as switching as possible with Embiid. And to have three guys who are capable of moving their feet – and, again, I can't emphasize this enough. Ben Simmons has to show us that he's actually going to move his feet, but I do think he is – capable of doing so I, I think there's a chance that it might work you know uh and and obviously Covington while not a knockdown three-point shooter is a good enough shooter to the point where maybe he'd be able to balance out Jackness or Jackson's weakness a little bit too yeah I mean you know I think it's one thing to ask a guy to defend a two off of a switch or for a couple minutes I do want, and I, I think both Jackson and Covington have that kind of quickness and length especially in Covington's case to do that from time to time, I do wonder what kind of impact that would have 
over the course of a full game and a full season. But I think it's uh, you know I think it's something to watch. Like I do think Covington is going to stretch the floor enough where he will at least help offensively. And look, any lineup that's going to have Jackson and Simmons in it, unless there's a really substantial improvement from one of those two, is going to have spacing concerns anyway. So it's not like you know one guy in Covington is going to really make up all of that. But I think Covington is a good fit in that regard. I just wonder, you know, ultimately, are you going to want to get maybe a pure, a more pure two to play there full time and bring Covington off the bench? I do wonder, you know, if that's a route they could go, and if that's a route they would go in free agency with, oh, I don't know, JJ Redick, which is already getting rumored. But it's a, it's something to watch. It's, it's. I do wonder, like I said, whether or not Covington long term might end up being more of a six man type. Yeah. Okay. So. That's sort of the the impact of Jackson. Okay, so let's say the Sixers bring in Jackson for a workout. You know, we're we're going a month down the line here when he'd come to uh to Camden and work out for them. And let's say they see his shot, and they've obviously watched all of the tape they can and talked to all the people. By the way, Jackson uh he's he has a little bit of a questionable off court past. He uh mm-hmm. he hasn't completely stayed out of trouble, put it that way. They uh let let's say they figure out mostly though that. I just don't trust this guy's shot. If not him, who? You know, I've I've said this before. I I'm pretty enamored with um, Jonathan Isaac, and look, I think a lot of people have a lot of questions about whether or not he has mentality and the skill set to be the, the term I've heard most is a, a, a quote unquote dog, which I. I love that term. I don't know why. That's such an old school it's scouting It's very term. old school. Um, yeah, next thing you know, you're going to wonder, wonder what his girlfriend looks like, too. Um, yeah, it's just like the money ball team. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, look, I think if you're if you're expecting him to develop into a top option, a one or a two, you know, a guy who can really average, you know, close to 16, 17, 20 points a game, I'm not sure I see that. And I think a lot of that, part of that is, is handle, but I think a bigger part of that is that he's very passive on the offensive side of the court. I get that. But I think we under... First of all, I think his defense has even more potential than, than Jackson, which I don't say that lightly uh, because I think Jackson can be a very good defender. But he's he's longer. He's a little more explosive of an athlete in terms of, you know, maybe the quickness of his jump. He has, you know, like three or four inches of standing reach on him, a longer wingspan. And I think he moves his feet just as well on the perimeter. And I think he's a little more realistic, especially if he adds some bulk, to be a two through four defender. And also to then, um, you know, really impact from the weak side. And I think that combination, forcing turnovers on the perimeter, generating steals, rotating the block shots, and then also having the foot speed to switch out on, on, on ball handlers and guards is really valuable. And to a degree that, I mean, I think he might have the most defensive potential in the draft, or at least among forwards. And I also trust his shot a little bit more. Uh, pretty significantly more, actually. And you look at the numbers, and again, I think I think Isaac shot 34%, 35%. But just the form, the free throw shooting, the pedigree in high school in terms of free throw shooting, I think it's a much more projectable shot. So considering how much I value defense and being able to switch, and considering how much I value that shot and being able to space the floor around Simmons and Embiid, you know, I think I think the difference between those two is closer than a lot make it out to be. And look, I still have Jackson ranked third, but I think I think people are a little too focused right now on getting a top option offensively and a guy who can really take over a game, and a little less focused on how important defense is, how important floor spacing is, and how important fitting in your role is. So I like I like Isaac a lot. He's he's certainly in the conversation for me. I would honestly give some thought to Dennis Smith Jr. And not that even that I like him all that much. And I, you know, if I'm not talking about the Sixers, I, I, I like Fox a lot more, pretty significantly more. But I think if you're looking at it, you know, Fox's shooting scares me almost as much as Jackson's. Maybe not as much. I do agree that his form is a little, I'm a little more comfortable with his form. And but he's, free he's also, too. his free throws too. But I've never really seen that translate into, you know, from the perimeter, from the deep perimeter game action. And I've been watching him for a while now, and I have that concern. And if that doesn't translate, then a point guard who needs a ball like that and doesn't space the floor is a real tough fit. Whereas Smith, I think he could end up being the second best offensive perimeter option in this draft. And I think at the very least, I'm going to have to look at that, bring him in for a workout, talk to him, and see whether or not a lot of his weaknesses were NC State related. But, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll certainly talk about Tatum, um, 
he's he, he he's not he would have been much more of an option if they would have fell to five to six to me. I can't see much of a world where I like him more than I like Josh Jackson. So it's it all it's gonna you know really slip my mind. Um, but that's kind of where my mind is at. And look, I get Malik Monk. It's like you said. Brett Brown and Brian Colangelo recently have been talking a lot about, you know, they really like versatility and they really like shooting. And the problem with this spot in the draft is you really can't get both. So, yes, Monk provides one of those two at a very high degree, but he provides nothing else in terms of versatility and defense and, and all of that. I, I I would personally, if and look, I agree that they're going to need, if they draft a forward, they're going to need they're going to need some perimeter depth, some perimeter talent. I would look for other places than the third overall pick to get that. Yeah. They, uh, I compared Jackson's shooting to, to like a whammy on, on that show, Press Your Luck. Like, like, I, I really think like that could basically derail the rest of his game. And it seems like you're a little higher on Isaac than most people, but I, I do agree with you that he has a higher floor specifically with his fit. With the Sixers. And I think the question, if like Brian Colangelo is comparing Isaac versus Jackson, and Josh Jackson has a higher ceiling because he has the chance to be a top op- option offensively. He's got a handle. He can make passes like in a way that Isaac had a more limited role offensively. But I'd be pretty confident that Isaac would be like a really souped up version of a 3 and D player. Yep that would fit perfectly with Simmons and, uh, and Embiid. And by the way, the, uh, you know, the, the fit issues with Covington and Sarge, I mean, you know, he, Jonathan Isaac's a three too. So, you know, it's not like those are going away, but in terms of fitting the two core pieces, I agree with you that he would be a much better pick and, and they really do have to weigh, you know, floor versus ceiling, I think, because Jackson if he can't shoot the ball, he might be, you know, that, that could. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge if decision. he can't shoot the ball, then how well he can create off the dribble. I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but it, it's still a really hard fit with uh, with Simmons and Embiid. It would be almost, again, I don't want to go too far as to say untenable, but if you can't trust his shot and he can't space the floor, then you're limiting your two best players. It's, uh, I, I mean, and you, you hit the nail on the head with uh, LeVar Ball, and by the way, you're going to go insane over the next month because oh, I know. Re- I know. Rega- regardless if uh, regardless if he, it seems like he's going to go second in the draft, that he's still going to become Marcus Mariota and Joe Mixon and whatever the in, and whatever other topics that Philadelphia sports radio is just completely running to the ground. They, uh, I, I will say, as much as I, I don't like dealing with that conversation, and Lonzo Ball scares me a little bit. God, it would have been nice if they would have gotten the second pick. Just to because, have the option, sure. Because I do, even though he scares me a little bit, I, I just think the fit with the Sixers would have been so much better for him. And they would have been able to fill a need and go with a high upside player too. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised how frequently I hear the opinion that Ball doesn't fit because he's a ball-dominant point guard or because he needs a ball in his hand. And that's pretty much the opposite of Ball's game. Like, he really is amazing in that he... He doesn't dominate the ball. He doesn't control it for too long. He makes quick reads and quick passes, and the ball moves, and he really promotes, you know, ball movement. And he's played already with a two-point guard set. Like he has a lot of, a lot of reasons where I think he makes more sense than a typical quote-unquote point guard. But um, yeah, I mean, like if, if you're going to compare point guards, I like kind of doing cross-sport comparisons. And like when when Ben Simmons is a point guard, he's sort of like Cam Newton where he's got the ball in his hands the entire game and he could do these sort of amazing things that other point guards can't do just because of his sheer size and athleticism. And he can also pass like pass the ball like crazy. Like Lonzo ball is like, I don't even know. I I guess, I mean, Tom Brady would be the guy like he gets the ball out of his hands so fast and that's what he's trying to do. I mean, yes, he needs the ball, but he needs it for half a second until he gets somebody else the ball. And, uh, yeah, I think that would have been a great fit. I mean, God, some of the passing sequences between him, Simmons, and Saric uh, would have been freaking amazing. It would have been like the, the Magic Bird documentary back in, like, 1978 when they were passing the ball on that U.S. team. It, it, would, have been, it would have been cool. But I, I do agree. I, I can't imagine the Lakers not picking him. It just sort of seems – it just sort of seems like it's it was kind of almost, a, you know, destined to be because – 
you know, the hometown kid and sort of, you know, him, Magic Johnson, sort of being reminded of himself and this kid. But, yeah, I, I would be surprised. Did you did you see the report that the Lakers might want to bring him in for a, a solo workout with De'Aaron Fox? Yeah, like that. There's any chance of that ever happening. There's a better chance of me being drafted than, than that <laughs> yeah. workout. <laughs> I mean, top prospects, by and large, don't do that anyway. And by by and large, I mean pretty much across the board. It hasn't happened in a decade. <laughs> but the thought of Lonzo Ball, I mean, look, Lonzo Ball's value isn't in a one-on-one atmosphere. He's going to get no. roasted by De'Aaron Fox. There's no way he lets that happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So let's, so, okay, so let's just, for argument's sake, say they take a small forward. In uh, in Jackson or uh, or Isaac, that still leaves the Sixers with a void on the perimeter. Notice I didn't say point guard there because they really are going to try and play Ben Simmons at point guard. JJ Reddick's name was brought up this week, and not by a bad source. Uh, probably the best source of all, if if we're being honest. And uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, I, I've seen Reddick's name linked with the Brooklyn Nets. It seems like uh, he might be the guy that, it, you know, we'll see what the Clippers do with Blake Griffin and Chris Paul. I'd be pretty surprised if they don't re-sign Chris Paul. But it does seem like Redick is probably the odd man out there. The Brooklyn Nets have been the team that have been mostly linked with, with Redick. I know he has, a, uh, he has a home in Brooklyn, and, you know, that wouldn't be a bad thing for the Sixers for the Nets to sign a free agent because then that would worsen the Celtics pick, hopefully. But J.J. Redick would be a great fit with Ben Simmons. You're talking about a guy who doesn't need the ball and can yep. influence a defense while not, while not using the ball. I mean, that guy just runs around picks the entire game. And and while he's 32 years old and not a great defender, a smart team defender, like he maximizes everything he can, can get on that end, but certainly not a plus defender by any means. What are your thoughts? I mean, it seems like Kyle Lowry was the uh, the rumor du jour a couple weeks ago, and now and now Redick this week. To me, Redick makes a little more sense just from the just because I mean, while Kyle Lowry is a better player, the hope with Redick was is that you'd be able to get him for a lot cheaper. Not cheap by any means, but cheaper. The crazy thing is they have so much cap space. This isn't even necessarily an either or question. <laughs> um, which could make a really interesting July and, and one that I think is going to leave a lot of process trusters a little bit nervous. Um, yeah, I like J.J. Redick a lot. And it's a shame because, I, I mean, he's going to be 33 by the time the next season starts. So you have a lot of concern. I mean, he has a type of game that is probably going to age pretty well. But that's still, I mean, you're talking 36, 37 by the end of his next contract. That's a, that's a little bit hard to swallow. But, I mean, you're looking at it. You know, what What did he shoot from three-point range last? Like, the last three years, I think he's been over 43% every year, or close to it at very least. To have that kind of gravity for Simmons and Embiid would be huge. And certainly if we're looking at it, I mean, besides the fact that we're talking about free agency, and we brought up the fact that it's almost not, I mean, what are they going to have, like $50 million? So I guess, I guess two might even be a little more than $50 million. It might be more like $55 million. So if you're talking 35 for Kyle and 20 for Lowry, or 35 for Lowry and, and 20 for Reddick, that's you not. Can do it. Jesus Christ, that's that's that scares me. Um, but if you're talking like that, and then you're talking maybe you know, they still have trade chips to make with draft picks and whatnot. I can really see, and I think I think one of the kind of side effects of this is now that maybe a point guard isn't necessarily one of the top options in the draft. I could see Colangelo kind of going all in on. On winning and going out and trying to get a free agent, I do think you know he talks a lot right now about measured progress, and I almost wonder if that's just you know kind of he has to say that because I still feel I get the hunch that he wants to make a big leap this summer and a big leap in free agency. I think Reddick is the type because of his age, a lot of the teams that have cap space aren't going to have a whole lot of interest in him, and maybe Brian Clangell will have more than the market. And that, I mean, that creates a, a, a guy who is very likely to move and very likely to be obtainable. I do, you know, I, I like him. I'd enjoy watching him. If they made another move like, you know, trading a draft pick or two for Paul George and you added J.J. Redick then, I mean, you could you could make some really real legitimate progress. It's just I'm, I'm, that age is going to scare me a little bit. Oh, sure. And it's, you know, it, it's interesting to see people who are so gung-ho about not wanting Lowry 
in Philadelphia, like JJ Reddick's going to cost, man. I mean, and he is yeah. not as good as Kyle Lowry either. So, and mm-hmm. also older though, too. So yeah, it's, you know, and I, I will say Reddick, you know, he definitely will bring the, uh, the veteran uh, presence that the Sixers were sort of going for last year with Manu Ginobili. I understand that aspect of it too. Probably make a really great podcast guest. Oh yeah. He'd be, I mean, he's way better at it it than we are. (laughs) (laughs) He, uh, oh my God, his podcast last year with Zach Lowe recounting the, uh, the Andre Jordan saga, like from the inside was, was one of the greatest episodes of anything I've ever heard. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, I I would it would just be interesting to see him attack it that way though, right? Because like let's say the Sixers draft a small forward and decide, hey, we're gonna play that guy with Covington, Simmons, and Embiid. Just to to sign a guy at Reddick to be your uh your nominal, you know, your, your smallest defender, your point guard defender, while never playing him at point guard at all offensively, would just be like I do think in, in a couple years, like the Sixers really could. uh you know, whether it works or not, they really could break the mold in terms of the creativity they could use with the different lineups and the skill sets and everything. Like I, having Ben Simmons is going to create so many, you know, new aspects and like ways to play basketball. Yeah. Last three years for Redick, 46.7 from the field, 44.6 from three point range, 89.3 from the free throw line. Those are, that's insane efficiency. He's that good, really man. Is. I mean, God, he, I, he's good. It can make you look past those terrible tattoos he has, too. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that's the name. I mean, I, I heard that you know rumblings around the league back in February that they were interested in him. So I certainly think that is. And coming from Woj, I now feel a lot more confident in that. Um, that was Woj, right? Yeah, that was yeah. Woj. Um, yeah, I think that's a name to, to keep your eye on. I think, I th- and the thing with that is, I think there's a lot of different avenues they could go between now and then in terms of trades, and in terms of drafting. And I still think he is a guy that they're probably going to have interest in. So, let me ask you a question, just because I, I heard you say something, you know, a couple minutes ago. Let's say they did get one of the top two spots. Do you think they would have sat out free agency then? Because obviously, it, it seems like more of the. Uh, realistic targets and free agency are guard types and you know drafting a guy like Fultz or Ball might have you know not made sense then I certainly think if they had gotten one and drafted uh Fultz then I question whether or not they still would have pursued Lowry I think that's the biggest one that I think would have been you know maybe not off the table but pretty close to it I think I think a guy like uh like Reddick probably would have fit with either of them though yeah, and I mean it's it, again. I'd rather uh, I'd rather the Sixers sign a guy like Reddick and draft who they think is the best guy than just reach for Monk because he's a good shooter. Yes, always, always, always try to get the best player if you can. Go for fit or need somewhere else. Like if if you have a guy who you think is going to be a star, then don't 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 use the draft to set up free agency. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Any other real thoughts on uh, on what's coming up? I mean, obviously one of the other big news is that Paul George did not make an All-NBA team, so the DPE for an extension is off the table for now. It can come back into play if he makes an All-NBA team next year, but because at that point, you know, basically if the Pacers don't trade, if the Pacers try to wait to see if he makes an All-NBA team and they, they get that extra DPE money, they would have to wait beyond the last point they have to trade him. So there's a lot of risk there. And look, I know that the talk is going to be about the Lakers. I think clearly he wants to go there, idolizing Kobe growing up. Um, the, the interesting question will be whether or not one of Boston or Philadelphia will call his bluff. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, if they trade for him, they're not going to have a DPE, but they will still have bird rights. They can still offer him the longest contract for the most money for the most raises. It'll be interesting to, see, to me whether or not somebody calls his bluff on the Lakers and his willingness to re-sign there next summer if they do acquire him. Because certainly, I mean, there are a couple of teams right now and there were reports that, you know, Sixers were interested in Georgia at the trade deadline. And now I do wonder whether or not now that they're out of the running for one of those top cards, if maybe they're a little more willing to move this pick for a guy like that. Do you think there's any chance that rumor resurfaces in the next month? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's a chance because I do think of the top three teams, the Sixers would now be the most willing team for George. Because here's the thing. The Celtics, you know, all the rumors point to the fact that they're just going to try and sign Gordon Hayward this summer. And while Hayward is in a good spot in Utah, like Boston – Prob- I, I would say Boston might have – definitely has a higher upside. They now have the number one pick. And they have this ridiculous X factor in that Brad Stevens recruited Gordon Hayward in college when nobody knew who he was. Like yep. they have an amazing relationship, those two guys, which is just like – it's just this rare thing that is crazy. And I, I do think like that, that could very well be 50-50 despite the fact that Hayward's in a good spot in Utah. Um, and of course they're going to just, of course, w- would you rather, you know, trade a Nets pick for Paul George and, you know, w- with the risk of not being able to resign him, I, obviously they'd need a, a reassurance. I, I, I would think so. Or would you just rather take the number one pick and sign Gordon Hayward with your cap space? I mean, that's, I don't think that's a tough one at all. And I mean, that, that's the thing though, because, because that DPE is still kind of on the table if he plays very well next year, and it's only on the table if he stays with the Pacers. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get honest feedback from him on whether or not he'd, he'd oh. be willing to resign. It's, it's really. Oh. I think he's going to tell over... other teams, like, don't oh, yeah. trade for me. Fuck off. Yeah. Don't trade for me. Uh, like, I mean, I'm not resigning for you. I'm going to go to the Lakers next year. Well, well, even when he talked about the Lakers, he said, look, don't trade much for me because I'm coming there I'm and trading. anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and the whole reason you do that is because you want to keep the DPE option open. It's um, it's really this re- overreaction by the NBA for this whole Kevin Durant situation, this really unique <laughs> cap jump by a billion dollars reaction that the NBA had. It really does kind of fuck with team building in ways that I don't necessarily like, both because the DPE makes these pseudo stars like Paul George less likely to move if they can qualify but also because now when you're trying to trade for one of these guys, it's a lot riskier of a proposition. It would have been nice if they weren't quite so reactionary. I do think they overreacted to a unique situation, but it's it's a really new wrinkle in now chasing these guys who otherwise may have been available. The whole thing's so dumb. From from the media voting for it, that's dumb, to just making all NBA the criteria when it's not the 15 best players. It's the six best forwards, which is a much more loaded spot than center. Like, it's oh, it's so dumb. The the criteria is bad. The process of the voting is bad. And, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it is something, though, you do see Magic. I think Magic said that he believes that the Lakers are going to be more active next summer in free agency, which for the Sixers' purposes is a great thing because they don't care how good the Lakers are after next year. They, you know, as, as, as long as Paul George doesn't go to them this year, that's fine. They don't care. Um. It, it's tough, though, because, you know, he'll tell teams to fuck off, as you said. But the Lakers also – and the Lakers will be able to sign him in free agency. But what happens if Paul George is great next year? And yeah. Indiana has this amazing trump card that the Lakers simply can't offer. Like, I, I know it's home, but I, Paul George has played his whole career in Indiana. It seems like he's pretty comfortable there. And, oh, by the way, what, we're going to be able to offer you, what, like $80 more million? Yep. Than the Lakers? I mean, it's, you know, I think there's a chance that the Pacers just take what they can get now because they don't want to run the risk that he, you know, starts the season off slow, and then by the trade deadline next year, they've lost all leverage. So I think if it happens, it's I think it's going to happen at the draft. But if, it, if you know, he goes into the season on Indiana's roster and he just, he has an incredible first month or two, you know, well, at that point, you wonder whether or not they're going to risk it and try to keep him and see if he can qualify. And that's... You know, like I said, or like you said, having media members kind of determine this and teams, their team building strategies being reliant on what they think media members are going to do in a vote, it just, it blows my mind. And I mean, it, it's, I don't begrudge any of the media members who have a vote. I'm kind of glad that I'm not important enough that I can decide any of this or have a role in it at least. You know, I do think most of the media members take this very seriously. It just, it shouldn't, this should not be, you, you should not get more money because you won an award. Voted by anyone, frankly, coaches, players, media members. It just it should not be tied to awards. It's insane. Oh, I, I saw Rachel Nichols say on on her show today that she takes this more seriously than the MVP award because she knows, you know, how, how much of an effect this is going to have on the league. The uh, I, so so to get back to your original question, like w- would the Sixers? I mean, if they just dangled basically the number three pick and the Pacers 
we're pretty sure George is going to walk. And by the way, he's going on Jimmy Kimmel, like not even pretending that he wants to play for the Lakers. At, at that point, that might not be a bad cut your losses deal. If I'm the Sixers, though, man, like I need an assurance that he's going to resign with me. Like you're not getting it. All right, well then no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're trading the number three pick in a good draft. Like if that guy's a good player, he's going to be cost controlled for four years. Like that's a big I deal. Hear you. I hear you. So it's it's, it's so really no. it's a really. I mean, there's so many different ways this dynamic can play out. It will be fun to watch. I kind of wish the Sixers weren't on the the cusp of you know setting precedent here, but uh, I, I do think there will at least be talks. I would be surprised if the Sixers didn't at least explore the possibility, and I do think we will have rumors about that, but we will see. Um, anything else you really want to touch on before we go? It's, I mean, we now have a month of, unlike last year, where I feel like for as much as for as much excitement as getting the number one overall pick gives you, it doesn't give you a whole lot of a whole lot of talking points. We will have a lot of talking points in the next month. Oh yeah, the Simmons versus Ingram debate was almost manufactured. Uh, yeah. At a point last year, now I mean, you know, it was it was real. There were people around the league who would have rather taken Ingram. And uh, <laughs> judging from his rookie year, uh, even though Ben Simmons didn't play a game, I think uh, I think Colangelo got that one right. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'd feel pretty good about that moving forward. But yeah, like you said, the Sixers. I've seen this. Uh, I've seen it put this way in, in a few different places that they controlled the draft, like. You know, most people assume that the two guards are going to go first, and then the Sixers are the spot where you know a lot of different ways can go. The uh, you said this the other night when we were on Spike's podcast. Do you, did you think? Uh, do you still think the idea of them trading back for Monk is a possibility? It just to, to me, it it does seem like a possibility, but it just trading back in the NBA is so hard. It's not like in football well, where you can get like. You know, two second round. You just look at the value chart and say, "All right, we'll take your first next year and whatever." Uh, I mean, the Kings, the Kings did do it last year, and that's the team you would be talking about. So presumably, they at least have some. You know, they're not against that philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Sixers, and I've, I've I've been told this. I think they like Monk quite a bit. Now, does that mean they like him enough to take him at third over guys like Josh Jackson? I don't. That I don't know about, and I'm kind of hoping they don't. But I think they like Malik Monk, and if maybe they like Josh Jackson more, but they're worried about his fit or the word, you know, they they don't see the separation as being that much. Could they explore it? Yeah, I think they could explore it. Like you said, it takes kind of a unique, a unique trading partner to happen. But I do wonder if the Kings now with two picks in that range might be that unique partner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's wouldn't it be so Kings if they had to trade the pick, uh, the the 10th pick, and they, they just fell in love with Josh Jackson and they needed him, <laughs> and they had to trade 5 and 10 because they made a ridiculous Nick Stauskas trade a few years ago? <laughs> it really is. That that pick swap, man, That it's – and look, a lot of people at the lottery party were like, hey, the pick swap was more important than number one pick. No, it wasn't. No. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was, and – you can make the logical argument, and I, I probably have in the past because at times my logical brain and my emotional brain fight each other, but you can make the logical argument that that was a bad outcome for the Sixers because it, it could help a little bit in terms of the Kings getting the fifth pick instead of the eighth pick and that 2019 pick and having a vested interest in them being bad. It was nice to see. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 I don't even remember where I was going with this. What's, what started the whole pick swap thing? It, it's just amazing that. Yeah, it's just amazing that uh, we were even in this position for Arturis Gudaitis and Luka Mitrovic, Two the European best Quizzo sniffs. answers ever. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. who Fran Fraschillo was like, eh, I don't, you know, he's he's a basketball player. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. he knows how to tie his he shoes. Hustles. Yeah, he's yeah. good. Yeah, um, shows up he, on time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they uh, it, it really is though. It's why you ask though. It's why like right you just, exactly. You just ask and. I don't think I'd be as good of a negotiator because I, I would just be like, once I saw that pick, uh, once I'd see that trade without the pick swaps, I'd be like, okay, thanks. Yeah, let's call that one in right, right you, now. You would you would do it before they thought thought twice about it. But that's why you ask because sometimes they'll just say yes. And in the the case of the uh, in the case of the Kings and in the case of the Brooklyn Nets, it, it, it did seem like the uh, the teams that that asked for more, you know, that they reaped the benefits the other night. Yep, and that's a. Uh, 
that's kind of why I was hoping the Lakers would fall in the draft. It, by fall in the draft, I mean coming at third with the sixth or second because you wondered whether or not you know it's always a good practice to at least try to rip off a new GM, and you wondered whether Magic could fall in love with somebody. Then you could convince him that he wasn't going to be there at second, and see what you could do to to kind of extract something from him. But um, make the uh, eh, make I the guess. Mitch Trubisky trade with Lonzo Ball uh, and, and really hold him hostage. But yeah, yeah, it's good. It, I think it's cool too, just just selfishly too, that you know the Lakers aren't going to be very good next year. Probably, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to tell right right now exactly. You know, we we got to see what the rest of their off season looks like. But as long as Magic kind of. Uh, you know, as long as he sits out free agency, I, I can't imagine they wouldn't be one of the five worst teams in the league. So, it, it, oh, I don't know, Rich. This is their year. They're going to hit big in free agency. Big trade. Big trade coming. By the way, Eskin said a few, like I think two years ago they were a playoff team. Uh, yeah, that, that wasn't bad. I think seventeen to twenty was the range he gave for that pick. How about Colangelo the other day saying, uh, "Howard, you only yeah. ask irrelevant questions." <laughs> to, yeah. or, Howard was pissed about that too. Did you hear him on the radio? I didn't. What did he? Uh... He was he was not happy. And Howard's a guy. I think Howard has like he's known Colangelo for a while now. So getting a little testy between those two. Yeah, I heard I heard him like re- I, I thought I heard him say something like he was out of line for talking about the uh, the Lakers and the Kings pick like the future. Stop talking about the future. Like I think like Colangelo just was like, oh, these picks are cool. I'm I'm happy we have them. <laughs> And he he didn't yeah. want him to talk about the future. Anyway, though, back to those picks. It's cool that next year we'll be able to follow the draft again, even if the Sixers take a big step forward. Unprotected, too. Just lose. You don't have to worry about falling you know, outside of the top three or any of this nonsense. Just lose, root for losing. It, it will be, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Uh, all right, I think that's probably a good spot. Like I said, we'll have a lot to talk about over the next the next month plus, but... Thanks for hopping on, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you, man. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.